Jalen Nye and Daryl McIntyre, presented by Abe's Door Service, with 24-7 emergency service where you speak to an actual person. Visit abesdoor.ca. It is uh, 7.06. Thanks for joining us on the all-new this morning with Jay Lynn and Daryl. We've been talking about this. You've been hearing about it in the news over the past 24, 48 hours. But the Prime Minister promising to more than double the size of Canada's contribution to the uh, NATO mission in Latvia. uh, Announcing what yesterday, uh, $2.6 billion in funding over three years and up to 2,200 Canadian troops for ongoing deployment. We want to find out what that looks like and what that means for the Canadian military. Christian Luprecht is a professor at the uh, professor at the Royal Military College and Queen's University, as well as a senior fellow at the Macdonald Laurier Institute. Christian, welcome back to 6.30 Chad. Good morning, Jalen. Always a pleasure. Uh, good to have you here, Christian. You know what? When, when we heard the announcement, one of the first things that went through my mind, without knowing an awful lot about our deployments, etc., but I've, we keep hearing about how recruitment is down. That you know, it's 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 strained already just to keep up to the commitments we have made. How much pressure does this added commitment put on the Canadian Armed Forces? Daryl, this is a very important issue to raise. Look, 2,200 troops, brigade-sized strengths, that's about the height of the Afghanistan deployment. And the Afghanistan deployment and its rotations almost broke the Canadian Armed Forces. We continue to live with the legacy effects from that continued pressure, excessive pressure on operations uh, by politicians over the last 20 years um, on a variety of deployments. And so today, as you point out, we have fewer people. In fact, we are, as you know, 10,000 people short. We arguably have less money once you account for inflation and the like. And we arguably have less equipment and older equipment than we did at the time. In addition to that, we're missing key operational components to be actually to deploy a brigade-sized strength. We're missing key air defense, we're missing anti-artillery, anti-tank capabilities, and we're missing artillery capabilities. Now, the government has said it will procure these in 2024, but we know how slow the procurement system can be overall. In addition, of course, and what has been missed by much of the media, Uh, The key decision-making point at uh, this NATO summit was a new force posture for NATO and a new planning structure, and that means a greater number of NATO troops at heightened readiness to deploy in the case of a crisis. In Canada, we don't have those troops, we don't have that heightened capability of readiness, and we don't have the assets to actually deploy those troops. So even the things that the Prime Minister has signed on to at the NATO summit, currently we don't have, let alone the ability to deploy this brigade-sized strength. So it'll be very interesting, because the only way we can make this happen is with a very serious political commitment and reinvestment in the Canadian Armed Forces, and I'm not sure that that commitment and that consensus exists within cabinet. All right. Uh, well, what, that's a lot you just laid on the table, Christian. And what's going through my head is like, okay, then what the hell, right? Like, wh- what the heck? Um, you know, it, why is the prime minister just, by all accounts, if we can't do this without, you know, m- big big changes, and we don't know if there is a commitment to do that within cabinet, as you said then why is he putting it out there? Just to look good? Well, so I think there's two concomitant pressures. One is that 
Um, it, both the United Kingdom and the United States really wanted Canada to stay the course on Latvia. And the only way Canada could stay the course is by increasing to brigade size strength. Now, that announcement is new per se. That announcement was already, that commitment was effectively already made a year ago at the uh, at the summit with a timeline to 2026. But the Germans, of course, committed 4,000 troops on a permanent basis to Lithuania. And so for Canada to, it would have come from consider, considerable pressure from allies. There's only half a dozen countries around that have sort of the headquarter capabilities and the experience to be able to do this. Other countries would be France, which as we know is continued under continued strain at home, possibly Italy, possibly Spain. So it's not like there's a whole lot of alternatives around. And the US and the UK in particular always like working with uh, Canada. The other issue, of course, the reputational damage that Canada has already heard over the last 16 or so months and not being able to provide um, the type of support that allies and partners have been looking for with regards to Ukraine. And Canada is now sort of trying to play catch up on some of these elements. But as we're discovering, it's very difficult to rebuild an organization such as the Canadian Armed Forces uh, that has not received the attention it has required really for the last uh, 20 years. And so the challenge is, of course, that the chief defense staff has, has made reconstitution of the force in sustainment the priority, not operations, precisely because operations is what got us into the challenge that we are in now. And so the prime minister is now doubling down on operations. So how are we going to balance that with reconstitution and sustainment will be interesting to see. The one silver lining is that even though Canada's commitments to Ukraine, especially on the military side, have been modest, what Canada has committed, it has actually delivered, and it has actually delivered on time, unlike some other allies. So we can only hope that uh, the Prime Minister's commitment here is something that he has the full intent on following through on. And like you said, that could take some time. Look, I, I'm not that familiar with military operations, how things work, all that, but I do try to empathize and understand what some of the, the rank and file, what some of the officers who have to have to try and make this happen, what they might be going through. In any job, when you add organ organizational stress, it makes it very difficult for people to do their jobs because there's so much stress pushed on them. Is that an element of the concern that you might have for the troops that are there that I've been told you have to go do this? Uh, does that stress and that pressure fall down on the people within the armed forces? Well, so absolutely, it's going to put more pressure on the reserves uh, because that's where it, some of the troop strength is going to have to come from. But look, already, when we're talking about 10,000 people short, that doesn't distribute evenly throughout the organization because, of course, operations such as the ones in Latvia, you have to staff fully, uh, both for the security of the people that you're deploying as well as to have the deterrent effect that you're trying to achieve. So if you're going to staff those missions fully, it means that there are many units in Canada that are anywhere between 20 and 50% short on the members that they actually need. It also means a significant sort of disruption to some of the training system and so forth. So it's actually quite a challenge for the organization to manage internally. And as you rightly say, the tr people that are left behind, in particular in Canada, are picking up a disproportionate amount of slack. And when you're trying to recruit and make the Canadian Armed Forces an employer of choice, uh, and you hear about the stress internally that people in uniform as well as civilians are suffering uh, because of the staffing issues, you can imagine that that doesn't necessarily make the organization more attractive and make it uh, more likely that uh, the Kenyan forces will be able to fill its staffing shortfalls in the near future.
Christian Luprecht joining us uh, this morning, as you mentioned, 10,000 short and, you know, what's going to, we yeah, recruitment, retention, huge problems, when, what's going to make it attractive. I'm wondering, though, Christian, if if the idea of knowing that um, you could be deployed, that Canada is out there, that is, is being uh, deployed again, Canadian soldiers are in those roles, could that actually be appealing to someone saying, hey, you know what, maybe, you know, I'm going to do that. I just don't want to sit around and you know, uh, work on a base in, in Edmonton the whole time. I could go somewhere. Could that help with recruitment, though? Yeah, that cuts both ways. So definitely a lot of people who join the Kenyan Armed Forces, they join because they want to be deployed and they want to make a difference in the world. It's particularly important for the Army because the Air Force and the Navy have ongoing standing commitments around the world, whereas the Army does not have a permanent mission outside of Canada. And so this brigade size strength gives the Army, much like we had in the Cold War, a permanent task. So the Army is particularly delighted um, about this mission but we also know for instance that now this was of course a different slightly different mission in Afghanistan but the Afghanistan mission for instance uh, did considerable damage to the recruitment of women both in part because women seem to be less interested in an organization that uh, is in combat so we'll need to see whether the Afghanistan effect carries over to this particular type of employment and it also turns out that in particular among um, immigrant communities, they seem to be particularly reticent to have their children and in particular uh, their uh, um, their daughters joining the Canadian Armed Forces in the situation that they found themselves in in Afghanistan. So again, we'll see whether uh, the, uh, there is a corollary effect here uh, with Afghan brigade strength or whether, as you point out, that will make the organization more attractive when people know that they actually have the opportunity to get deployed and therefore also yeah. gain the experience to be promoted. Christian, one more quick one from me. I just want to know what would have to be done to, to make this doable? How quickly <laughs> could that happen? And do you think it's possible uh, within a couple of years to get everything ramped up so that it is a better, more functional mission? Canadian Armed Forces are ultimately an instrument of foreign policy, arguably our most important policy instrument, and thus it all hinges on the political decisions behind this. We can get to 2% spending. If you look at the uh, combat submarine patrol project, we look at the replacement for tanks, uh, for various types of artillery pieces, and the anti-aircraft uh, um, uh, capabilities that I already mentioned. We can, for instance, easily get to 2%. We can easily procure this equipment. Um, and we can send a clear message to Canadians that the Canadian Armed Forces are a priority for this government. Um, so ultimately it comes down to whether the Prime Minister and whether Cabinet are prepared to make the commitments necessary to this. All right, Christian Luprecht, always uh, fascinating to talk with you. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Jalen, Daryl, thank you. Have a great morning. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, shedding some light on, on things. So we can... We just got to do it. But will we? Yeah. yeah. All right. We'll uh, continue the conversation right here on the All New This Morning right after this. Abe's Door Service, where service is their specialty. Proud sponsor of This Morning with Jalen Nye and Daryl McIntyre. Shout out to um, you know all the troops that have been in Latvia over the past mm-hmm. uh, number of months. Um, a wide majority of them uh, based right here in Edmonton. They're on their way back right now. Yeah. 
How does this work? You told me that basically we are the primary base here in the West. There's right. a, what, is it Petawawa in the well, or Trenton? Yeah, there's in, there's in the different east? there's different divs across like. Yeah. But it sort of goes west and east. So yeah. so we we're coming back, and yeah. then a bunch of troops from the east will then yeah. go over and take over. Yeah, right? so they'll take over. So they're ramping up. They've been ramping up for what's called you know high readiness. So um, third div uh, folks will come back, and I think four div um, will go out next, and they'll do their tour. And then they come back. They just they rotate ra- rotate it because you can't have the same division, the same troops there for two years, no, no, right? So you just rotate not. it uh, all the way around. So our guys and gals uh, will be going out again, um, probably uh, from what I've been told, like later this year into next year. Uh, and what he Christian was talking about that the reserve forces because oh. there are an awful lot of people who are in the reserves mm-hmm. who did deploy mm-hmm. to Afghanistan, for example, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. deployed to some other places, and they are given that opportunity to to join yeah. in and augment yeah. the regular service staff. So uh, it'll be interesting how many of them and how many are actually even available. Well, the challenge is, is that the reserve numbers are way down as well. Exactly right. Huge, huge yeah. down. I mean, there is such a there the, the people numbers are are down right across the board, I'm right across the board by thousands. Yeah, I'm curious, Chedville. Is, is I was also having a conversation with Jalen uh, just sort of off the air about whether or not a military career or even the reserves is still an appealing thing to the general populace. I think there's a big difference. The farther we got away from the Second World War or a few other things, sort of that military role I think has decreased in the, as as far as being top of mind for an awful lot of people. So I'm curious. Whether that's true, whether that's just an assumption that I'm making, or whether there is still an affinity or an interest in in diving into this world. And I don't know. And I'm curious if you've had conversations in your own world uh, about whether, Cody, for example, I know you're in sports and there's probably nothing that ever crossed your mind. You or any of your friends ever talked about military service? Well, I know a few, but mostly they're Americans. And that's, again, interesting. Because that's a different world altogether, right? Which is one of the comparisons I would say is that you go down to Butte, Montana and walk through a little mall and there'll be a Navy station Mm -hmm. set up with someone, you know, recruiting, promoting. There'll be an Air Force versus, you know, I... I don't think I'd see one in Edmonton at a mall, right? Like, they just seem to recruit a little harder. It's a, and it's, it's, a, it's an easier power. recruitment process as well. I mean, we need to... The, the recruitment process in, in Canada needs to, to, to improve big time. We have the, too much red tape? Is that yeah, the we have too much, It takes really too shocker. long. It takes too long. Um, like, and I'm not talking like weeks. I'm talking months, if not years, mm-hmm. in some cases. Like, and it's just people That's are crazy. just going to move on. So they have to, they have to improve that situation big time. Do you think they market themselves to the younger age group accordingly? Though not well enough. I would, I would fully <laughs> agree with that. No, they're starting. It's, it's getting better, um, but they need to do. Uh, a, a lot more and do it much, much better. I've always been to be curious about the idea. It, it, to me, it almost seems like a bribe in some ways. You come and sign up with us and we'll give you an education. You'll get this and then after a little while, yeah, you do your service, you can get out and you can go get a real job. Mm. That's what it seems like it feels like. So the, the pride of being in the military, of being in the armed forces is not part of what's being pushed. It's almost like this can get you somewhere else in civilian life. Here you go. Well, yeah, it's true. For some, I mean, you know, I know a lot of a lot of folks who've been in and have been in for a long time, and that's their dream. They, you know, pilots and 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 NCMs and and all that sort of stuff, right? Like all the way across the board. Here's the thing: I think with Canadians is we care about our military when we're um, when it's front and center. In Afghanistan certainly in Edmonton. 
we all cared about what was happening there. We lined up on on the roads when they came back. We put yellow ribbons everywhere. Well, it's because when, of the tragedies. Because of the tragedies. We need to, and I've said this. Uh, for a very long time, we need to care about our military and you know pay attention to our military, not just when they're in theater, mm-hmm. when it's in theater all the way along. Because at the end of the day, you know there's forest fires like even here in Canada, right? Well, you know, they, they came out and they were they're helping. the ones yeah. that you're going to get called on to come and help you. And I don't disagree with we should, but I matter. I wonder whether people will or would or if it's still top of mind. I just don't think it's top of mind. No, I don't think so either. Uh, what do you think? Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. Love to hear from you here on six thirty Chad.